You know what's funny? The things that go through your mind right before you're going to preach, right, Lyle? Um, we're still teaching him how to filter that, but I'm just joking. <laughs> so, but anyway, so Tammy and I, we, we sit there and she says, do you think of anything that we're supposed to put in the bulletin? And I'm like, uh, yeah, there's something, but I can't remember. Well, I just remembered when I was coming up. Uh, next week we fall back, right? Daylight savings time. And best, my, my wife's favorite day of the year. And uh, our, yeah, we fall back to standard time. But I, it's a way for me to remember. Fall back. But anyway, uh, so we uh, gain another hour. I don't know. Uh, some of my Indian friends just laugh at me and just say, you know, only, only you would think that you gained an hour by, by changing the clock. But, so. Yep, Father-Son Retreat will be uh, this weekend, or this week, will be uh, a bunch of us are headed out there to Camp Gilead, and we'll be there uh, Friday and Saturday. I get, a, I get a chance to speak and share more hunting and fishing stories and uh, so, I mean, what can, I mean, talking about God and talking about hunting and fishing, I mean, what could be better? Um, maybe eating, eating pie and ice cream and by a warm fire, maybe, but I don't know. But uh, there's uh, some of you are like, ah, oh, hunting, I don't know. But uh, anyway, there's lots of things going on, and so be paying attention. Also, if you didn't notice, uh, we do have the Huffman Memorial, Jim Huffman's Memorial will be it's going to be a great time. I've heard some of the testimonies already. Another uh, pastor friend of theirs that's coming from Yakima, um, and where I first uh, was licensed as a pastor. So kind of a unique uh, opportunity. We talked about Yakima and all the things that go on there. But uh, he's coming and is going to share some testimonies about Jim and the family. It's a wonderful, it's going to be a wonderful opportunity. And that'll be at 1 o'clock and encourage you to come. And if you do come, we encourage you uh, for the family to, uh, they would ask that you wear masks. And so if you don't have a mask, we'll have masks for you in the back. Uh, but we're going to be sharing some amazing testimonies about Jim and about what God has done. And so uh, we look forward to that. And that'll be at 1 o'clock on Saturday, November uh, 20th. A wonderful opportunity just to praise God again. And, um, and so I look forward uh, to that. Wonderful, wonderful time getting to hear. Uh, I just have been blessed this week hearing different stories. And so I can't wait. I, I just want to tell them. But uh, I can't wait to share them with you and others to share them with you uh, in the coming month. And so, well, let's pray and let's read God's Word. I look forward to getting through uh, this opportunity to get through this and the fact that we're finding meaning in life by having right attitude with authority. Now, this doesn't just apply with governmental authority or government, or, uh, but it applies with all authority in, in reality. Um, and so there's principles to be learned and gained. Um, I even have a, a biblical, I call it my biblical counseling track. Um, if you go into my office, I do now have a little table that has uh, different biblical counseling Bible studies. Um, and dealing with different issues in our life. And I have that now set up with different tracks uh, set up, and you're free to go in and take them. As I see them go, I'll buy more. And there's even one that says, I'm dealing, uh, dealing with imperfect authority. And it's a great, great track. And it's even one that I find myself 
uh, reading often, <laughs> even as uh, even though I know the principles, I read it and re- remind myself of these things. Really, this morning, as we look at these this text in Ecclesiastes chapter eight, you'll know uh, those who've been here. We've been talking about God's sovereignty and how it deals with the things of life and finding wisdom, finding pleasure, uh, having things. And um, Solomon looked at all the major things in life, um, dealing with relationships, dealing with uh, family, dealing with power, dealing with authority, dealing with prestige, dealing with um, just things and wealth and riches. He, he, he looked into all of them to find meaning. And in all of them, he could not find meaning. And so he's now coming to the conclusion where with a great hinge to finding meaning is the reality that God is sovereign. He is above all things. And, he is, and because he is above all things, he is, not, he is not his plans, his things, his ways, his decrees, his wisdom isn't defined by the earth isn't defined by time. It's not limited. And that's the reality is Solomon saying, hey, we can run after all of these things, but if we don't live our life with looking at the fact that God is really the true wisdom, then we're going to struggle in life. We're going to struggle to apply wisdom in living our life. And so the reality is, is God wants us to have wisdom. And he wants us to have good attitudes and looking at how to apply these things. And so this is where we're getting to this idea of having a good attitude. It's really easy to have a bad attitude, isn't it? And it's really easy to lose focus. And the reality is, is we want to have a good attitude. As if we call ourselves believers and we say that we believe and that we trust God, then the reality is, is we want to, that means we should have a good attitude in life. And so this is, there's some really good things to be discovered as we look at these things. So this morning, we're going to look at the whole chapter of chapter eight, and we discovered uh, who is wise, and this is part two. So if you see in your notes that there is Basically, that first part that who are the wise, and so you see the the first three that we covered last week, and we're going to carry them into our last four this morning as we cover them quickly. Lord, we ask that you would just bless your word this morning, help us to understand it, help us not to be annoyed by the out. Uh, the outside, the things going on around us, the circumstances, our minds to be weighing heavily on tonight um, by being inviting and encouraging to our community, but also be inviting uh, people to the gospel. May our mind be stayed on you. May our focus and our love be on you that we might then be able to truly love one another. We thank you for the, the teaching that we we have and we receive from these words. Thank you that the Holy Spirit helps us to understand them because, Lord, you are the truth and your spirit is truth. You are the word. 
And Lord, you, you gave us these words, and so you direct our hearts and our minds towards these things. So as we briefly discuss them, I pray that we would learn to not only understand what we need to know, but also in the direction we need to go and what we need to do and how we might uh, live in light of these principles this morning. So we thank you and we praise you for your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and he starts out, who is like the wise or who is the wise? And, and of course, we know that from the text last week, um, we know that God is wise, Christ is wisdom, we talked about in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and those who believe in Christ and who God has saved and adopted into the family of God, they can have wisdom. And so for us, we can have wisdom, we can be wise, but the wisdom of the world is folly. It's not necessarily wisdom. It's wisdom based on foolishness, desires, other things. So Solomon has been a part of all of that. And now he says, who is the wise? And he goes into his explanation and he says this, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take uh, your stand in evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. For the wise heart will know the pro proper time and the just way in doing things. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavily on him. For he does not know what is to be or who can tell him how it will be no man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death there is no discharge from war nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it all this i observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt then I saw the wicked buried, then used to go in and out from the holy place and were praised in the city, and they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against the evil deed is not exceedingly spe ex executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does an evil a hundred times and prolonged his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will it prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I said, this also is vanity. And I commend joy for, for man has nothing better 
under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in the toils through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night no one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much, much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Wow, who is wise? The one who knows the proper explanation of his or her situation. Really, who can interpret and how to use wisdom in a time when he finds himself? And he, say, and he applies that in the fact that having the right attitude towards authority. The wise person doesn't just, doesn't just fight against authority, doesn't rebel against authority, doesn't create turmoil against authority. Really, the reality is it doesn't create rebellion but the one who has the proper attitude towards the authority. Which is interesting because then he gets to verse 5 where we left off last week, and it's the one who employs the correct process at the proper time in dealing with authority. He said there's really a proper time in which, in verse 5 and verse 6, in which to do things when it comes to authority. And the, and the idea there is, is that it's not that submission and and being obedient to authority is not like you obey every single word that authority or the king makes. That a submission isn't blind submission. Really, the idea is, in, even when you see submission used, in when it talks about wives submitting to the husband, it's not talking about obeying every single word that comes out of the husband's mouth. But there's an honor and respect that is due, being under the idea of under the orders of God submitting to the Lord. Ultimately, the idea is that we submit to the Lord so we can be in the proper order of things, so we can live out life in an orderly fashion. And this is true when it comes to government. We'll know the right time and how to handle the right situation. That's exactly what we use we talked about that it's not wrong to focus on the rights that we have in our civilization, in our, in our government. But the, the thing is, is so many people focus on those rights to basically affect themselves in the way that they want, rather than to use it to affect the glory of the gospel. You notice that Paul, in, in, in Acts chapter 22, when he pulled out his right as a Roman citizen, he did so to further the gospel. He didn't do so so he wouldn't receive a beating. In fact, he had already been beaten. He was going to be beaten again, but it wasn't to stay the beating. It was to further the gospel. Sometimes we pull out our rights just so that way we can say, I can do whatever I want. That is not the reality here. The reality is so that way we can continue to say that God is sovereign and that God is in control. It's about God's wisdom. It's about furthering the kingdom of the God, not the kingdom of man. 
And we can use our rights that God gave us to further the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. But sometimes we're so so upset about our rights that we are trying to further a kingdom of man, but yet we are not focused on God's kingdom. The kingdom of God, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus, Jesus saved us so that way we'd have life eternal with him. Not to save us so we'd have great comfort for eternity on this earth. But sometimes we mix up those two. It's easy because we've been given great freedoms. Right? But great freedoms come and great freedoms go. We sing a song, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. But the one who's the ancient of days remains forever. That's who we worship. That really, that idea flows into the next verse in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And that is this, is who is the wise? And that is the one who realizes that no one put, puts, or no one but God knows the future. Sometimes we act like the government knows the future and everything that they say, they, they, they understand and they know everything. Right? But they don't. The wise one says it's, it doesn't matter what the government says or what the king says or what authority says. What matters is, is that God is the only one who knows all things. Verse 7 says, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Sometimes we focus on, we look to government because we think that they understand and know the future. They say, do this and do that and everything will be good. We've heard that for two years, right? We've heard promises. Promises come, promises go. They keep changing. That should take us and turn us back, not to fight against them, but to realize that who knows the future? God knows the future. Opposing and becoming openly dishonoring to God's authority proves foolish because we don't know the future. We can surmise the future. We can look at, you know, things that are happening and say, this is going to come and this is going to be the way things are. We do not know how God is going to use leadership. Right? We Think about this. When you, when you get so upset about authority, whether it's government, whether it's work, whether it's teachers, whether it's landlords, whether it's, you know, whatever you're saying, whatever, wherever that authority is in your life that God has established, when you get upset because you can't understand what they're doing, and you believe you know what is right, you are saying that you know the future. Who knows that? Only God knows the future. We don't know why God is allowing leadership to do what it's doing. We've got to stop and say, who knows the future? The wise one will go back and say, no one but God knows the future. By the way, 
quickest way to calm your heart when you watch the news. Praise the Lord. God knows the future. Psalm 39.4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Right? When you know when, God, when, when, when something is going to happen, when something stumbles out, when you say that, that wrong thing, and you're like, God already knew it was going to happen. Right? When, you're, when you trip going up the stairs instead of down the stairs, like some of us, I trip going up the stairs. I rarely trip going down. I don't know why. I, I think I have a false hope in going up the stairs. <laughs> Right, But God sees it. He knows the future. And he knows why it's going to happen. Right? When you get sick or if you don't get sick, when you do everything that they say and things still don't happen the way they say, when you, don't, when you fight against everything that they say and everything doesn't happen the way that you think it should go, who knows the future? Verse 7 we realize the only one who knows is God. Psalm 47, 147, 5 says, Great is the Lord. Majestic, great, above all. And abundant in power, his understanding is beyond measure. It can't be measured. Today, if we're trying to measure the things that are going on all the time, you're going to be in distress. You're not going to make wise decisions one way or the other. You won't make wise decisions. In fact, it will take you from the Lord one way or the other. Right? It's, it's, the reality is, is, is we see that it's not wrong to disagree with government, but it's wrong to create civil disobedience. People are like, well, how can you as a church do some of the things that you've done? And I'm like, well, have we come out against the government? No. Have we dishonored the government? No. Have we not given people choice? Oh, no, you've made it clear. Everybody has a choice. Are, are we going around shaming people for their choice? No. That, and they're like, yeah, that's different. Yeah, it is different. And I'm not saying we're perfect. I mean, there's always room for improvement. We're always looking at ways we can do things better. But the idea here is is not to focus on what we think the future should look like, but resting our minds upon the one who measures all things, the Lord. Number five, who can be wise? Who are the wise? The one who recognizes the limitations of authority. We have to be, we we have to honestly say that uh, those that are in authority have limitations. Some of them have severe limitations more than others. But the idea is is the fact that who can know all things? Versus, you know, verse 8, it says, No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. We need to realize that there are some very severe limitations. And the first part of that verse is that that the first limitation is no authority has absolute authority. No authority has absolute authority. No uh, no, 
No man of any authority can control God's mind. All authority is subject to God's sovereign rule. They think they have rule over their own mind, but the reality is, is God's plan does not change. Limitation number two we see in verse 8 is that no authority has authority over death. And that's a big one, especially today. We think that if we just blindly follow all the, the, the authorities today, that we are free from death. That's not true. We can't just go do everything the authority says and we won't die. That's ridiculous. There's people who have died regardless of what the authorities say. And I'm not saying that. Don't say that. Don't take my words and say, so he's being anti-everything government. No. I'm just saying that a wise person will say that no one has absolute authority over death. Even though that they say, if you do these things, you won't die or it'll prevent death. They cannot say that. We've seen that they can't say that. Right? It's been, that's proven false. Right? And, 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 that's, and that's really the thing is, is we, cannot, we cannot say and make these sweeping statements that are actually owned by God. Only God controls life and death. That's why I love in 1 Corinthians that in 1 Corinthians, Paul was preaching and, and I, man, my mind went blank. I was going to write it down and I forgot. But I was, he was preaching and he's saying that when God died for us, when, when Jesus died for us, he, he took away the greatest fear that man had and that was the fear of death. All mankind is under the fear of death until Christ. Christ took the greatest fear Fear the world knows away. That's why, as a believer, we do not have the spirit of fear because we have Christ. We look at death entirely a different way because we know that we don't control our life and death. Paul said, For me to live is Christ. It's a great thing. It's for the glory of Christ. If I, for me to live is Christ, but if I die, that's great gain. Because death doesn't have a hold on me any longer. The idea is that God has all authority. Death no longer has authority. God does. No authority has authority over life and death. No authority, no matter how powerful, can prevent our hour of death. God knows when it will happen. Proverbs 21.33, I'm sorry, 21.31 says this, The horse is made ready for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. By the way, if you remember, the horse during the Bible times was the modern tank of the day. Basically, it doesn't matter how many planes and tanks and men you have for battle. We can go out and we can get ready for battle and we can have the battlefield arrayed with the, the mightiest tech and, and all of that. And we can say, yep, we're going to win. We're going to conquer. But it cannot thwart God's plans. Ultimately, God always has the victory. 
God will always end up with the victory, no matter how much we plan it. I like whenever there was a couple of times when things happened in my life and, and people, you know, were like, well, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And that's so unfair and that's so unjust. And, and uh, but a mentor of mine just texted me that and he just, well, I don't even think he texted me. He, he called me and told me this verse back then and there was no texting <laughs> yet. But he said, he said, just remember that verse. The horse is made ready for battle. People plan things all the time. But it doesn't change God's plan. God has something better. Psalm, 1, Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Who do we trust? The wise man will say, will realize that every, you know, if we try, if, if you putting all your energy and all your trust in changing authority, or you put all your trust and all your, in all your ability in how good authority is, or if they're right or they're wrong, you're going to be miserable. Because either way, you're going to fail. It's not wise. Put your trust in the name of the Lord. The wise man says... That the beginning of all wisdom is to fear the Lord. Number six, the one who fears God ultimately has a meaningful life. If you look at verse 9 through 10, it says, All this I observed while applying my heart to all that I have done under the sun. He's saying, I have observed all these things. I observed all the things going on. And that basically, that man is not sovereign. Man is not in control. But we can be unwise in how we live our life. He even saw that man had power over man to his hurt. Talking about how the fact that even authority is imperfect, it hurts. And then verse 10 he says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and, their, and praised in the city and they had done such things. This is also vanity. He saw that even the end of imperfect authority, those that had gone in and out and worshiped, they looked like they were worshiping God, they acted like they were worshiping God, and they looked like they were good, but in the end, they still, they died. Proving, again, they had no authority over death. And he, and he goes on to say, but, and he said, because the sentence against the evil deed is not exceedingly speedy, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. And, and he's saying, look, he says, we see that there's evil and, and we want evil to be punished, but it's not happening as fast as we want. And because it's not happening as fast as we want, our heart begins to turn towards evil. We have evil desires. We wish, man, won't they just be punished? And, and in fact, a lot of social justice and a lot of social reform and a lot of the, the things that we see happening is built upon this principle. We see a lot of people's minds set on evil and not on the gospel, which is good. Verse 12, he says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. This is the reality. Even though we see a sinner sin a hundred times, a thousand, a million times, 
Yet I know that the one who is well or at peace, I know the one that has peace is because they fear God. You see, this whole reality is the one who is wise, the one who can interpret his situation, which he finds himself because he has a good attitude when he's dealing with authority. He's not, he knows the right time in which to not actually, maybe there's things that are, we need to do to worship God, to glorify God, and, and, and to glorify the gospel, and to, to give the gospel. And there is a time and a place for everything in which we do things that are based on what is right. God gives us the wisdom to know that. And he, all of these things is we realize that God holds the future. God is in control of all things and that our authority is limited. So we don't fear our authority, we or the evildoers, we fear God. Clearly, the Bible and, and Solomon is again testifying to the sovereignty of God. There's no sense in trying to dodge and, and trying to understand all the sovereignty to dodge this fact and say, well, I don't really understand it. And so, I, I, you know, and we say it's no use to believe it or to even understand it completely. The truth is the Bible completely affirms that God is the one that's calling all the shots. Most want a forgiving God, but not a fearful God. Most want a God of love, but not a God who is Lord. Most want a God who is just, but not a God who is the judge. But that's who we have. We have all of that. We need to fear God. In these verses, Solomon has come to realize that there are things in this world we cannot explain. We can't explain why so much lying is going on and getting away with it, although I can explain it by looking in Revelation and the fact that it, days are going to get evil. We can look in Scripture and say that we know the days are going to get more and more evil. People are only going to care about their ears to be tickled means just to be, all they want to hear is, is make me feel good, right? And so there's so much lying going on. We can't, we can't try to explain it. That's not our job. He came, Solomon came to see that sometimes the wicked seem to, to fare better, to be better off than the righteous. That is just the way it is. But he begins to wise up a bit because he, can also, he also came to realize that God was in control of it all. So the best thing for him to do was just to enjoy it. To stop focusing on all the evil. To fear God. Fear, to fear the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Asaph in, in Psalm 73, 17, and Asaph contrasts the end of the wicked with that of the righteous. He reminds us, as though it appears that the wicked are defying God, ultimately the Lord will judge them in righteousness, in, in God's righteousness and in God's truth. 
It's not about what we think is true. God will judge. Psalm 73, 11 through 17 says, And they say, talking about the wicked, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? They're mocking. Is there really wisdom? Is there really understanding in, in, the, in God? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They in, increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washing my hands in ignorance. For all the days long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Asaph was saying it was just so hard to understand why the wicked were the way they were and why he was being rebuked and, and ridiculed. It was just a, to try to understand it all, it just burdened his spirit. 17, he says this, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. When I came to worship, when I came before God, when I was confronted with the truth of God, when I came to God, I realized the end of the wicked. The truth is this. Apart from God's word, apart from God's worship, and fellowship with other believers, we will not find any peace in this life. We need God and we need each other. Fear of God brings great wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 Fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and instructions which foolish which foolish ones despise. Proverbs one twenty nine, since they hated knowledge and did not and did not choose the fear of God. Right? They hated knowledge because they did not choose the fear of God. Proverbs two verses three through five says, For if you cry out for understanding, if you lift up your voice for insight, if you seek Wisdom like silver and search out like treasure. You will understand the fear of God and the knowledge of God you will find. Proverbs 9, 10 through 11, which we'll hear a sermon on this, Lord willing, soon. Verse 10, it says, The start of wisdom is in the fear of God and the knowledge of the Holy One and insight. And literally, to fear the Lord means to know the Holy One, which is amazing because 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us that the wisdom of God is Christ. The start of wisdom is the fear of God and the knowledge of the Holy One and His insights. For by me your days will increase. And your years of your life shall multiply before you. Right? To know the Lord. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of God, there is confidence and strength. For his children, there will be refuge. There's refuge for his children who fear the Lord. 
Proverbs 29, by the way, the fear of God. We need to stop worrying about sheltering in place and we need to shelter in place in the fear of God. We need to put our mind in the fear of the Lord. We get so focused on what we can and cannot do that we stop fearing God. We get so worried about what we're going to have to do next or not be able to do, we stop fearing God. We fear so many other things. I like the, the fear of the Lord. There is confidence and there's refuge. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of, of a person will lay a snare. The more we fear people, the more we'll be trapped. But he who trusts in God will be secure. That's why Paul told Timothy, when Timothy was going through a hard time, he was ready to quit the ministry to leave the church of Ephesus because he was being persecuted and ridiculed for one thing after another. They, didn't, they didn't, weren't following the Lord. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 through 8, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline, or a sound mind, a self-disciplined mind. You know what a self-disciplined mind is? It's one that has a good attitude. Therefore, he says, verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about your Lord, nor me that is his prisoner, but suffer along with me for the gospel according to the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Fear God. Love the gospel. It's the power of God. This is the great problem over the last two years. Do you know, you know how to get people to fear? Tell them that if they do this, then if you don't do this, this is going to happen, right? There is so much manipulating to make us fear today, and our eyes is on so many things. And then when it doesn't happen, you change the definition of something. It says, okay, well, now you got to do this, so that way this won't happen. And then when that doesn't happen, they change it again. We're living for two years in a perpetual state of fear And we have lost our fear of the Lord. And when we lose the fear of the Lord, we lose the power of the gospel. And don't take what I just said to say, don't, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm giving you an example that we are living in that. Who do we fear right now? I'm not telling you to you know, run into the, you know, into the every place you go without a mask. I'm not telling you, I mean, I wear a mask every time I go to a, a place outside, unless I see that nobody's wearing a mask, and then I don't wear a mask. <laughs> but, because, you know, I just basically, I do it based on what everybody else is doing. I, you know, and I talk about the Lord. My fear is not in the mask. My fear is, but I still honor people. I still respect people. It's time to stop fearing what people are saying and fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. We'll know how to respond to our times correctly. 
We'll know how to love each other more. We'll know how to love our neighbor. But we are given to so much fear and control. We give up control. When we fear things, we give up control. When we fear God, He controls us. And when He controls us, He gives us the wisdom that's beyond this age. And He helps us to understand how to have a good attitude and to live with great wisdom in the time in which we live. And ultimately, the wise one is the one who enjoys what God has given him. The sad thing is there are so many believers today that are just not enjoying what God has given. We are so focused on what we don't have or what we can and cannot do. We're so focused on what the virus is doing or not doing. We're so focused on there might be death, there, there, you know, there is this or this. You know, and, I, and I've told you from the very beginning, people are going to get sick and that somebody might die. It probably is going to die. And praise the Lord, I wasn't the first one to get sick. But I, I've been telling you that life is going to go on and things are going to happen. And there's going to be things that we like and there's going to be definitely things that we don't like. But God is going to give us the ability to live through him for his glory. You got to ask the question have you stopped enjoying life? If you've stopped enjoying life, then maybe you need to ask the question who do you fear? Who do you fear? Sometimes people use this verse out of context. In verses 15 through 17, he says, And I command joy. By the way, joy, even in Hebrew or in the Greek, is not something that we can produce. Happiness is something we all run after. It's short-lived. It's like a firecracker. We do, and that's why addiction exists. We want to be happy. But the reality is, we need joy. I command joy for a man. And that is, do you notice at the very end, He says, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the the sun. He goes on in verse 17 that there is nothing that you can do, no work, no pursuit that you can pursue that will help you to understand more in depth and magically the sovereignty of God and how God is going to work. Through good government, through bad government, through good authority, through bad authority, through why, you know, through what we think is wise and what God says is wise. There's nothing how we will rack our brains day and night and we will lose sleep, Solomon says. Verse 16. Every one of us who are wise, we are wise because we fear God. And we enjoy what God has given us. We don't worry about what we don't have. We enjoy what we have. The quickest way to joy is just simply enjoy what God has given you. That begins with the gospel. Start your every morning thinking about what you have in the gospel. Don't... 
I hear people tell me, it's like, it's okay, I can go do this now because I have the shot. And I'm like, no. The shot's not going to save you from death. And, and my thinking wasn't because of statistics. My thinking was, was because God is in control of all that. Don't put your trust in, in man. Put your trust in the Lord. It's not about saying that, oh, come to church because God will heal you of everything. That's not true. Sometimes God wants you to get sick. Sometimes God wants you to suffer. We were talking about this this morning. Some of you suffer way better than others. You can learn from those. <laughs> I'm still learning from those that are suffering way better than, than me. I don't, I've, I've come to realize I can't ignore pain all the time. I try. It keeps tracking me back down. I need to suffer better. Boy, it was not my year this year, this summer. <laughs> I did not suffer well. <laughs> Boy, isn't it great that God keeps teaching? I love that. God is not done with us yet. But are you enjoying what God has given you? Are you? Don't enjoy just what the government can give. Don't enjoy just what happiness might bring. Put your mind fully at rest. Fear God. Keep his commandments that it may live long with you, that he can apply his wisdom to your life. Are you struggling? If you are, maybe you're not. Maybe you have joy. But now you know how you can express it. By the way, it's, it's not that some people are like, oh, are you one of those guys that just believes that you're always going to be healthy? You know, God's going to, you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it, but I also have wisdom. I wash my hands. If I'm sick, I stay away from people, right? If I know people are sick, I stay away from them. <laughs> you know, it's like there is wisdom applied. I just... I'm not driven by that fear of death. I'm driven by my fear of the Lord. And I'm not driven by it enough, I can tell you that. I'd be much wiser if I feared the Lord more. And that's the question. How can you fear the Lord more? Because I, I, you might be way over here ready for mutiny, and you may be over here just saying, I'm going to just do what blind, I'm going to have blind faith in our worldly system. And both of them is going to take you away from God. Fear God. How can you do that this week? That's a good question to ask. How can you fear God more? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of reading your word. And I pray that this imagery of the fact that you have given us all good things, that we would not forget that. Because, Lord, there is none good except for you. We are not righteous. All of our good deeds are as filthy rags. The Israel is so wrapped up in just doing all these good things and trying to keep the law and doing more laws. They felt like they, if they just did more laws, that they would even be better. 
They didn't have to fear you if they just did more good things. Lord, may that not be true of us. May we really see ourselves for who we really are, imperfect, with no authority, imperfect, with not knowing all things. We cannot plan our way out of every situation. But Lord, we can simply fear you. Thank you that you loved us enough that you gave us something very simple is to not believe in ourselves, but to, to fear you. And when we fear you, we see the need for you. That you are righteous, you are holy, you are perfect. And that makes you a righteous judge. And that your wrath is going to be poured out on our sin. Praise the Lord that when, Lord, you sent your Son to be that stand-in in our place, to pay for our sin, to take your wrath, to cover us with your righteousness so that we, our, the wisdom that we have, it ultimately comes from you because we fear you, because we put our trust in you, the living God that is above all God, that's above all kings, all authority. Lord, may we not look back at the last two years and, and think about injustice or what was right or wrong, but may we just simply learn and, and to fear you better. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be a church that loves you so much that we would honor you correctly, to revere you, to desire to lift you higher so that the world can see. Because the day, Lord, it's obvious that the days are evil. May we, as we desire you to come, to take us home, may we also desire to share your good news to all that may come, that you know that will come. And may we proclaim the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus Christ. May we put our faith and trust in you and believe. May we believe you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.